Hello, listeners. Hello, Raphael. Hello. What's, uh, uh, how's life? How is life? Yeah, I feel like you always get the jump on me with asking about me, but I want to know about you and, um... Yeah. Well, we, we moved uh, one apartment. Uh, the, the apartment next door became available, so we moved. It's a little, it's 20%, 25% bigger, bit more windows. A bit more, double the windows, 200% more double windows. Double the windows. <laughs> we, we got the corner apartment. So that's the luxury. But it was easy. It's it's. I've never had that easy of a move. We just got these two carts, and we didn't even have to put stuff in boxes. We just loaded up these rolling carts and moved it over. And uh, and plus, you only have like three things in your apartment, right? Like a pair of chopsticks. Um, I do, lo- <laughs> but then you, you know, you end up carrying your wife's stuff, and I got really grumpy. I was just carrying all these boxes of books. I, I think I have ten books here at home which are just my my books that i give away of my work yeah i don't i really don't own any books of my own so i was pretty pissed but you know you, you're married you love your wife you have to do for it for someone as well read as yourself you only have 10 books well they're on the kindle my books. oh yeah, yeah i do the same but, thing yeah but the physical books i only have my haiku book i have five of them and then my monograph and whenever i run out of them i order new ones and, mm. can you do yeah. like print on demand like you saw, you saw one in no the... no I ordered them from the publisher they, they have a storage but mm. uh, yeah I, I, I agree I have but at the same time if if I was decorating this place or, or putting my stuff here it would feel kind of sad so it's, it's good to, to have some Christina in the house yeah some influence. no I was thrilled recently I gifted Kristen a storage locker it was like a anniversary gift <laughs> but it allowed us to like romantic. yeah like did you put the key in a little ring uh, <laughs> gift box thing yeah yeah but it, what like why it's romantic is it like let's you know I have a lot of crap I have a lot of crap I actually have a lot of books and catalogs and things and like in a small apartment you can very easily like feel we have a rule like no new things can come 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 in without going out. Um, yeah, but it's stuff still somehow finds its way in. Yeah, I mean it, the whole thing with uh, keeping a collection of everything you do as an artist, like oh, I'm you know in in the beginning it's exciting, like oh, I'm in this magazine and my work is uh, named and there's a little picture, so I'll save it. And then before you know it, you have three bookcases of publications that have a little thumbnail of your work. So I just photograph it and then uh, give it away. We have this system here in the building that we put books in the mail room and people pick them up if they like it. So it is a funny thought, though. Like, like why do we keep this stuff? Because we imagine some curator, like, long after we died, like, sorting through a dusty, you know, basement. Oh, well, I just photograph everything and I, <laughs> I, I keep everything in a, you know, I have a dedicated archive. It's, it's organized by year and then... Yeah, so they'd be like, wow, this this artist was so organized. Like, look, we just have to look through their iCloud storage. And (laughs) here it all is. It's all sorted alphabetically. They did the job for us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, that was the promise of the digital life, that you don't have to carry around so much stuff. I mean, do you keep records or cds or dvds or that kind of thing i have i've like called this list so i started by having like keeping everything and then like i i've kept certain um like you know what i consider like important or uh emotionally meaningful dvds like things i've recorded or friends have gifted me because i used to i used to program i ran a gallery and program video so i don't want to throw away like a signed dvd case you know by a friend who was an artist you know 20 years ago that seems like that's a piece of my history it's like a memento um but i guess the same would be true if like throwing out a wedding invitation or something like that i'm i'm a bit sentimental about that stuff for whatever reason um yeah like uh, baby announcements and uh, mm-hmm. funeral cards and all that stuff yeah. yeah i'm like this deserves one pound of my or like a square foot of storage space in my life can i yeah can i can i there's a yeah. there's there's a great bit of, of Seinfeld where he talks about the, the hierarchy of storage. So first it goes in the cupboard, <laughs> and then it goes to the garage, and hardly anything in the garage ever makes it back into the cupboard. And then from the garage it goes to the storage unit, and then it goes another box, and then it, in the end you end up in a box underground. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's actually like a not the topic of today's podcast, or I don't know, we didn't really discuss, but um, we did want to mention... 
it's relative to like a friend of ours launched a podcast that's kind of about this in a way. Uh, oh yeah, it is. Yeah. So uh, our good friend Ben Fino Radin um, of Small Data Industries, uh, legendary data archiver, restorer, uh, dedicated Champ- new media champion of art history. Champion. Yeah. Yeah, and um, so now there's a new podcast called Art and Obsolescence, and they interview artists archival people from museums collectors everyone in the art ecosystem and uh, it's, it's been very interesting listening it, they're kind of intimate longer conversations I, I think we've seen a lot of short interviews with artists on youtube like around the five minute mark but this is more it's more calm I it's think. long format I, I always I, I always enjoy not having a visual next to it it's a more focused way of listening mm-hmm yeah, I yeah. mean, it's a longer format podcast, but way better production than this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, I mean, that's the thing. I always think about that. Like, it, maybe maybe our listeners can reply, but do you feel like us being more professional, having a, a booth with a sort of a fabric around us and the right mic and all this stuff, would that really make the podcast more enjoyable or would you not even notice well you fixed the echo problem from last week that's what i'm noticing well i'm in the in the small room now yeah yeah but i'm also uh, we still have to hang some works i'm hanging a bunch of tapestries in my little office area so that'll mellow out the sound reverberations yeah i just think it's more authentic for it to be a little bit crappy but this is me yeah but i i do know i've i've listened to a lot of other art podcasts and when there's a there's a there's a threshold where it becomes unlistenable yeah it's like for me that's i I hate to call out the the bad podcast but uh, you know they're the friends of mine but uh patty johnson has this podcast and then one speaker was in one channel of the audio and the other one in the other so you if you have headphones on you hear one voice on the left and one on the right it sounds fun and it's really kind of nauseating. Are they still doing that? Just... That was the Splain Me podcast, right? But I don't, I don't know if they're yeah, still yeah, doing yeah. it, like split channel. Um, but the split channel thing is like, oh, yeah, that sounds cool. Like normally someone can sit to the left and to the right of you. But if you've ever sat in a diner and all of a sudden someone to the left starts having a conversation with someone to the right of you, it's, mm. it's kind of overwhelming. I was talking to a friend um, a couple days ago about the podcast. They said they had recently picked it back up again, this podcast, and that... Uh, we and they gave me some feedback. They're like, "You're talking a little bit too much about NFTs." <laughs> and then I was like, "Well, really? it was a big deal this year." And he was like, "Yeah." And who but was it like, that said this? It was a friend of mine in Australia. Shout out to Sean. Yeah. He's like, "Yeah, it's getting a bit much." It's <laughs> like, "Well, it was a pretty big I, deal this year." And I it, thought it, I almost thought that we didn't speak enough about it. It felt like uh, well, yeah, that this makes is sense. such a. It, to me, this is such a momentous shift. Like it really is, it has so many implications that I don't know. It, it I, I am careful when I'm with other people if it, I'm talking too much about crypto because I know how. No, no, no. But did you see um, Saturday Night Live last night? Speaking of like old traditions. Um, uh, I watched a bit of it on YouTube, but I, lately it, I haven't been so. Okay. I, I'll watch three sketches and then I give up. Yeah, it's not. I it's mean, it's not as funny. It's, there's some. I mean, that's what people say every year about Sound, uh, about uh, Silent Live, but um, there's like a Thanksgiving sketch. And of course, there's like a little section, you know, they're, you know, dealing with Thanksgiving. So, so tough, you know, whatever. Um, family, right? Um, but family then, troubles. But literally in that the sketch, there's table. like a, a five second thing about, you know, where someone's pitching. No, like the reason <laughs> that crypto is so exciting is it's decentralized. And yeah. so, it, you know, once it's in, once it's like a five second segment inside of, um, you know, a, like a larger Thanksgiving <laughs> sketch, you're like, yeah, okay, then, you know, it's kind of. It's jumped the shark from a popular con. Everyone knows what it, we're talking about, and so I think then yeah, yeah, then yeah. the conversation probably shifts to well broader, more interesting discussions. But the be- the beginning of the year, I was skeptical about the whole crypto thing for a long time. I thought it was kind of all about greed, mm-hmm. and Christina got kind of tired because I just kept talking about it. I'm like, well, there are pros and there are cons, and the- this and that and she's like i think you should just do it i think you should just try it see if it works for you and talking about it doesn't help and then mm-hmm. she was right yeah. yeah hashtag participate 
But um, yeah, 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 yeah. I think the reason I I'm I'm not, I'm not trying to bring this up as the topic for today's podcast, but um, it was a little bit kind of on my mind in relationship to like uh, like a general more general theme that I've been working with the last few, couple weeks relates to communication as like a, a core component of good management and just noticing that like for those who have followed the the crypto saga like hen which was like the diy like utopia <laughs> like collapsed and, and more, I, more experimental and and it, it felt like an extension of the net art community or ars electronica that type of community Lot of, Which, yeah, is that a fair, fair I think, description? I think community is the right th- word, though. Like, it was run by a community. It wasn't a DAO, which is, like, what we'll get into a little bit, too. Um, but it was, like, um, you know, foundations got a CEO or whatever. It was, like, de- it was completely decentralized. Like, it was run like an art collective, almost. Um, though there was, like... It was like, also on, on the Tezos blockchain, which made green. it more affordable to mint pieces. Yeah, it was like, and, uh, and also and it, it it lowers the threshold so you can experiment more, but at the same time, it didn't have that economic uh, push that you get with Ethereum, where all of a sudden there's bigger amounts being earned, and that way people can become full time artists, and so it 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 felt like a, almost like a safe space to do experiments that might be buggy, and it's okay, and. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, no, yeah, yeah. It, like it, it I, doesn't I, I, have to be yeah. polished. Yeah. Yeah, like I minted an AR piece. That's the only piece I minted on hand. But that was like the f- second AR piece on hand months and months, like, like at the beginning of the year. Um, yeah. Because it was the only place where that was possible. But, but I, I kept thinking the the choice of the Tezos blockchain. It is more green. I understand. But to me. If it's not gonna work economically, then why not just have a blog and put your stuff out for free? Like, it, I I don't understand. Well, it if does work economically. Know. Yeah, I'm. But I don't want to get yeah, too much. I mean, like kinda. a bunch of friends. But I, I remember going to the website and like for a month it said sales are not possible. So. Yeah, so they've had their their troubles. But I think the reason, <laughs> it, like the topic I want to talk about today, that's not just talking about Han, is a lot of the troubles related to the decentralized nature of the the site and management infrastructure because as as they're trying to figure out like hey what's next for this thing because the guy that started it took a step back um you know if, uh, like one of our listeners toby thanks toby sent me a bunch of you know different uh threads and like minutes from meetings that were happening and stuff and there was all kinds of conflict embedded in it and i actually don't want to get into the specifics of the conflicts because they like immediately, I didn't see it as like a Tezos problem or a Hen problem. It was all um, it was all stuff that I'd seen managing teams. But this is in corporate. Yeah, this is Canada. exactly this is exactly why I had been walking away from the internet the last five years slowly, just like lowering my footprint in social media and lowering my time because you hate people. <laughs> it, it's it's terrible when everyone feels involved. That, that's the problem. Like, I feel like when everyone says, I have a voice too, it's not productive. Mm. I think I, I think it's better if platforms are just like, uh, we're strawberry, the other one's chocolate, this is vanilla, and, you know, we're going to be the best strawberry or the best chocolate or the best mint, pecan, whatever flavor. But then don't complain that, like, why is the strawberry not more like vanilla or whatever? At some point, you just pick your place and accept it. And I, I would rather that there's many little places that are run very specifically instead if the, I know from from art blocks it's a very specific platform and then foundation has its own tone of voice everybody has its own and then just accept like that one is more top down that one is more low low barrier to entry and i don't know like that i heard from the people of art blocks also that they have to be in discord all the time and sort of the audience has a lot of questions and then they're bummed that the price goes up or then they're bummed that the price goes down or whatever. And it's a minefield. But for me, like looking at it from a, through a corporate lens, I had like just had, um, had lunch with some friends that were working at Shopify and, um, you know, Shopify now Canada, like one of Canada's most valuable companies. Um, and it had been founded by this guy, Toby, but he stepped down as CEO to come become like chief product officer because as they got public, like, you know, they went public, they need, you know, he needed to do different things. It's very common that, you know, the founder CEO might, well, it's not common. It's been co- become common that they step down 
um, and, and hand the reins over, like uh, jobs to Scully or something. But she was, you know, this person I was talking to was complaining because Toby, you know, stepped down from CEO and then decided that he was going to be, as chief product officer, he was going to review every single design decision <laughs> in the entire company every week. So now all he does is all week long, he's in design reviews. Like, so stack it like Monday through Friday, like 9 to 9 p.m. He's just like looking at stuff and providing Is that feedback. what you were doing at FreshBooks? No, like, I mean, this is why it's of interest because that's the most inefficient way to uh, manage quality, you know, and it's also, it's just not how you, you, so what you were saying about everyone having a say, that's not, that's not actually good management either. Um, no. And so what you, there are, there, but there are like, there's like a hundred years of management theory that informs like a better way to manage a group or a team. And then in my own job, I was noticing like, you know, a lot of the issues came down to the same problems around communication and review, like review, basically, like, so who do we how do we know when something's complete? You know, whose feedback do we listen to? Like all of these things, like, how do we make a decision together? And, and, you know, like, can we pause for a second? Yeah. Your voice sounds very strange. And I don't know if it's the network or it's your microphone. Oh, yours did previously as well. So I think it's just um, the network. It's just the network. Yeah, okay, you got well, Let's keep going. Then. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, like I was saying, a lot of the issues come down to how we make decisions and how we communicate uh, around decisions. So how we collaborate, communicate and decide. Here's my cynical, uh, uh, sarcastic, snarky, whatever uh, take on it. But can things be improved? Because whenever I speak to people with jobs, he this is the macro view. Like uh, I saw an interview with Peter Saul, the painter, and he said he became an artist because he doesn't want to deal with people. So he stretches his own canvases. His wife helps to pack the works. And, you know, he's successful. He's happy, whatever. Is it possible to have a company that's well run? Because it sounds like it's a anyone I know with a job is miserable. <laughs> like I've, I just, and, and I'm, I'm really... Whenever I hear people complain about jobs, it's like people complaining about roommates. And it doesn't matter if Santa Claus is your roommate or Billy Idol or uh, Obama. I, I don't know who. Everybody always complains about roommates. And it seems like everybody always complains about companies. That's because... It's never... Yeah, I think it is possible. But it's not the Toby way. And by the way, like the, the thing that Toby does, like Snapchat, apparently 60% of all decisions still go through Evan Spiegel, like... Like it, it's not sent. There's like centralized authority was a period in the history of management that was, you know, like command and control, like the military kind of thing to do. But even in the military now, uh, they don't use that method. So the, the method in the military for high functioning teams, there's a great book called Turn That Ship Around. And I hate generally business books that refer to the military. But you have to imagine the military is actually a pretty good proving ground <laughs> for, for stressful situations, right? Like, um, and this is a book about the uh, the world's like worst performing team on a nuclear submarine. The thing submarine. I don't understand about, about the military is it feels like there's only one military in the world because the U.S. just puts so much more resources. Well, China, I think, has a bigger the, military almost now. The next 12 countries or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and then... then there's this thing when something is successful and you think it's successful because of the way it is, but it might be in spite of the way it is. Yeah. So you're saying, oh, the U.S. is very successful militarily because they've been doing this for 100 years. And it's like, actually, they could have cut spending four times if they hadn't been bothering everybody and it would have been a better world. And so No, no, no. I'm just talking about it from that, a management that's why the, standpoint. The, and let, the, I feel like what I mean is we can study management because there's so many different companies. So we can study all the different methods. We can... We can study yeah, each one's like a little how universities are managed because yeah. there's a lot of different universities. So you could say like, okay, well, there's all these types, but the mili especially the U.S. military, there's just one. I don't know if you can really talk about. Well, let me just talk about this like there. nuclear submarine captain and what he did. So he had the he he had the worst submarine uh, in the navy. He had previously run the best one, and he inherited this you know this this terrible submarine. But the the changes he made were really small. And this submarine went on to become the highest performing. And I don't know what that means, whether they killed the most number of people or what, but like became the best submarine in the military. And what he did was he simply changed from command and control to um, 
to to seek to uh, understand and advise. So basically, he took on this thing called an advice process, which is any decision that needs to get made on the submarine, anyone is capable of making that decision. And the reason that they needed to implement this is because like there were several disasters where um, teams that were had been afraid to advise the captain of a situation because they didn't want to get in trouble. Does that? I mean, that might sound familiar, right? Like they want they lied to the captain, <laughs> and then well, people died. It, that's what I notice a lot. Like uh, yeah. when I hear people talk about jobs, it seems like everyone in a structure is basically trying to get through the day. Mm-hmm. Like most people are not in a job because they love it. They're just trying to get through the day. And I always use the analogy. They're like. They've been, they're swimming in the middle of the ocean. They're out of, almost out of air and energy. And they know that if they stop paddling, they'll sink. Mm-hmm. And all they're thinking about is, I got to get through the day. I got to pay for my kid's college. I got to pay the mortgage. I got to pay health insurance. I got to pay groceries. I got to pay the car payments. I'm really behind on this. So, and all they think is like, if I make a strong decision, mm-hmm. It's my ass if it doesn't work. So I'm not going to make a strong decision. I'll, I'll give the decision to someone else because I don't want to be liable. Sure. And so everybody's just trying to get through the day. And Yeah, but that's, that's like, so that's a disempowered like the, team. Like that's a broken yeah, team. Yeah, but, but to me, it seems like the expectation, what I often hear is that people think as if everybody in the company is as excited as the founder, but most people are just like there to get through the day. Well, I mean, I've definitely built empowered teams. And so the difference with like an advice process, a process where you give everyone the autonomy to make a decision, there's just one, you know, the problem can be, of course, that then people make chaotic decisions in different directions. But then that's a really interesting challenge to solve. And there are different things that you can do. In this case, with the turn that ship around, you know, the captain had one rule, like if you make a decision, you just need to make me aware of the decision so that from my point of view, I get access to all the decisions being made. And I can advise you if there's a conflict with your decision, like, oh, but did you know that like, Julian is about to launch a missile? (laughs) Like, you should probably not also launch a missile. And so this advice process, though, um, you know, is representative of like, yes, there's power because like someone there are people that oversee everything and they can see what you can't see. But that's their job is not to make the decision. It's to advise you so that you can make better decisions. And what I see in a lot of, you know, these cases of a bad job or bad workplace is someone is trying to make all the decisions with imperfect information. And so, you know, like Toby maybe is actually trying to do the right thing. So it's all about communication? Yeah, exactly. And I, I the most terrifying thing for me as a, as a leader inside of organizations, and I say leader like uh, more from the like, Hey, I'm trying to serve these people, right? But the most terrifying thing would be if they didn't, as my customers, like they didn't advise me of what was going on. Like they're the eyes and ears of what's going on. And this is the the Japanese way too, right? Like Toyota innovated on this front and still has, by the way, the most the highest quality rating. You know, most Jap- Japanese cars are way higher quality than American cars, having been the and I, I've talked about this on the podcast before, having been the worst for. How is your American car? It's got it's at the bottom of the quality list, right? Like in consumer reports. How is it in in daily life? It's great. It's great. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's fine. Yeah, Yeah. but I'm just saying the the Japanese are really good at um, this one. There's one principle that they have for running factories and running business, which is you respect is respect for people. So like, yes, they have all of these hierarchies there, but they like a worker on the ground uh, is respected at the same level. Yeah. What's really weird to me is that there's clear examples of things that work and that make organizations better. And why don't other organizations just copy that? Because of ego. Really strange. Yeah. 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 And so like, you know, if you can... uh, Maybe maybe to circle it back to art, I don't think there's any management style or production style. There's nothing you can learn to make things better. Here's my big issue with art. Like I had a long conversation last weekend with someone who's like, and I went on a huge rant, which maybe I'm about to do here, which is that like... The art world needs to stop pretending that they're the utopia and that they know how to manage uh, better. No, no, than, I, I, know, you know. I know. The art world, okay, and we can switch to that later, yeah. but but the artist, like the artist studio, how that should be managed. I don't think it should be managed like a Toyota factory. Well, it's different, right? Like, And if you're yeah. the autonomous producer and you don't have a team, it's as, as soon as you introduce a second, third, fourth person, that principles for social interaction become relevant to the performance of the team and your output, right? Yeah. So prior to that time, yeah, of course, you're self-managing. And you're actually like probably a pretty good manager to yourself but you might not be you might be like you're doing a terrible job yeah Yeah. exactly but think about yourself in your best 
your best self, when you're doing your best work, you're like, oh, I'm going to try a few other things. Hmm, interesting. I could do well, this thing, differently. The thing I really noticed is, is uh, working with people. It's just finding the right people. And then there's no, you don't have to think about the communication. It just works. So yeah. I've worked with different collaborators and I, I tried different textile factories and I find, found this one in the Netherlands. And that's a very well-managed place, actually, when I think about it. But I tried some other companies and it's, I remember doing a, a test weave with a, a company in the U.S. And then you give them your credit card number, which I think is weird to begin with. You give, why do you give someone your wallet? And then they, they accidentally added a zero to the amount they subtracted. And then you already know, like, you know, the test was a hundred bucks and they charged a thousand. I'm like, okay, this company doesn't have their shit together. Yeah. That's clear. Bye-bye. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, like... You can, there are lots of signals of mismanagement, but it, they usually relate to, as you detected there, poor communication and poor experience as a result of like a disjointed team that doesn't know why it's there and why it's working together. Yeah, yeah. But, you know? but what I'm saying is like maybe my model as an artist is I work with a lot of external parties. Yeah. I don't hire anyone. And then you just try stuff and you're like, okay, this manufacturer is better than that one. This collaboration is better than sure. that one. and yeah. Yeah, and I, I but just as a tip for for a lot of artists I I think some artists want to control the whole stack as they say in technology so they want to have the machine that makes the thing so they can bend it the way they want. Yeah. But then you're stuck to that production and that's maybe similar to management styles like once you want something in house then Yeah. you have an obligation to use that department. So uh, oh we're, we're going to have a uh, whatever, know your customer. And then all of a sudden you have a whole department of security and identity and... Well, that's a, yeah, already that's a perversion of like how you should think about hiring though, right? Like you wouldn't be hiring that person to, to give them work. You'd be hiring that person to tell you what to do, right? So like you, the it's the reverse in, a, in an organization, yeah. right? Um, yeah. Because otherwise, why, you know, they're not... We've moved past yeah, but the it, it, factory. This is the way it is for artists. Like... Uh, Let's say you want to switch the sculpture and you found a place that can do the sculptures for you, but they're, they're really busy because there's other artists, so you need priority. And then you know what? I had a good show. I'm going to invest. I'm going to get a big space and I'll get two assistants and we'll get a, a concrete machine and a steel machine and whatever. And you start doing it. And at the end of six, seven months, you're like, oh, I want to get back into animation. I'm kind of tired of sculpture. And then you invested all this material and you're like, well, now I have to use it. Yeah, but at that company like that you hired, like the ones that you really like, they probably also like advise you on how best to work with them, right? They're like, they're probably yeah. saying you should use this thread because it's going to be better than that thread. Or, yeah, or they're like, this is our schedule. We'll be busy in the fall, so you yeah. better start working on it now. Or yeah, whatever. yeah, that's already yeah. you know great a great example of like best yeah. practice. But th there's different ways for artists to manage that because some artists really like getting all the tools and then kind of messing with them to the point of breaking and that's something you can't do with an external party no that's true so like the experimental aspect but again i think that's just being a good manager to yourself like saying we need like you know in manage in uh, tech we have this principle of horizon so you work yeah. on optimization is horizon one and then like big bets are horizon three and then horizon two something in the, in the middle like well you got to do your this, big bets. This is maybe, yeah, but th this is the funny thing because I feel like business has almost become the model through which we see everything. Mm -hmm. So we see like the kitchen is a business. How do I manage it? Like, oh, the, the laundry is a business. How <laughs> yeah, do I, yeah. You know? And so there's a danger of always thinking about expanding. And yeah, you could keep it small. For me, yeah, but for me, it's one of my favorite paintings, you know, the woman with the pearl earring and uh, all those paintings. And he made about 35 works, as far as we know, in his whole life. And as, there's very little known about him, but supposedly he owned a, a pub or an inn, you know, that, that old thing. So he was a Sunday painter, technically, but also an amazing uh, oh, Sunday like painter. Yeah. And so, you know, he, he could have been like, I got to get a studio, I got to get assistance, I should make 1,200 paintings a year, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Do this full time, but, really commit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that might not be the best path. And No, I like what you're saying. I like what you're talking about here. I mean, in business, it's a constant debate as well. Like there's um, 
there was this movement towards bootstrapping companies for a long time, not taking venture capital, right? That, that, that was the web 2.0 kind of aesthetic. And there were companies like Basecamp and Jason Freed and um, founder I worked with here in Canada, Mike McDermott, who really like professed um, that point of view because it's like, then you have full control over your own destiny. And you often hear these terms in business and maybe people aren't aware but owning your own destiny is a big thing. Yeah. Well, I, I heard from people who take venture capital, it's kind of like you make a deal with the mob and they call you in the middle of the night and they're like, why aren't Where's you my money? Right yeah. Now? Yeah. Well, they're expecting yeah. a certain growth rate, right? So they, and they have the power to unseat you if you don't, you know, return their investment many times over. And that, <laughs> but the reason for that is because they take on a, a high risk portfolio, right? So they take on, they give a lot of money out to a bunch of different companies and they need a certain success rate, not for just you, but for a certain percentage of their companies to return value to their investors because they're not even the boss, right? It's like some schmo on the street who's invested into the fund. Um, and they're like, you know, I expect my 20% yield, <laughs> whatever. Yeah. Um, and everyone's taking their share in profit. So basically so. what we're talking about is as soon as you create dependencies, um, you know, like imagine a convoy of a lot of cars or horse and carriage, and you can't have the one in the front sort of slacking off. It's like you're, you're a group, you have to move forward together mm -hmm. and you protect each other because you're a big group. But at the same time, you can't just take it easy on your own and fall behind. So uh, one of the things that, that I want to talk about this week is also the term the art world and we can speak about it mm. from a management point of view i saw you tweeting a bunch but, about the art world like it was like you were doing yeah. a series or something yeah i was trying to make an essay and it didn't work and i like more of this conversational style but i just kept thinking about that word the art world and it seems for most people the at least for most artists it's not a happy word like when people talk about the art world it's not <laughs> A thing they're excited about. Right. They might be excited about like getting a new graphics card or getting a new studio with better light or, you know, that's the fun part. And then there's the art world. It's like, oh, I got to go to openings. I got to say hi to people, blah, blah, blah. But my point is when we say the art world, I think it's all the middle management. But And I mean, management, not in a good or bad sense, just objectively, like, curators, art handlers, auction houses, and all these stacks of, of uh, management technology, mm -hmm. whatever you call them, gatekeepers, yeah. conservators, they all need the artists to produce a lot of work. And they need a lot of artists to choose from, and then they choose which artists go through the funnel. Um, but I, my, my point, I was just talking to people, like when we say the art world, I don't think it includes artists. It just feels like the art world is everything outside of the art making. Yeah, I think it's artists that kind of, I mean, when I refer to the art world, you're right. I'm kind of referring to like the myriad of administrative hoops that I jump through to sustain well, a career as it, an artist. It, 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 it's, it's hard to talk about without making people feel uncomfortable or insulted. But mm -hmm. I think the internet had the promise, for example, with real estate, like, oh, we don't need brokers anymore. You can just go on a website and look at a property you want and then talk to the person selling it. And so that 10% in the middle between you two, you can save. Mm -hmm. But in reality, it's such a big purchase that you do want some advice and you yeah. do want some guidance. And so... So the art world is like the intermediary in your in your example, like... Yes and no. Like I, I, I understand it's much more complicated than that. Mm -hmm. But in general, the, the artists want to make art. But then, for example, curators could be really good motivators. They're saying, oh, that's interesting. Well, why don't you make it 10 times bigger or whatever? Mm -hmm. have, you, have you thought about how to exhibit it in a larger space? Have you thought about introducing an educational component? Have you thought about... And that can be a positive, but it can also dilute the artist's vision where... Let's say you have a Vermeer type of artist who just wants to make these small paintings mm -hmm. and, and very focused. And then the curator is like, oh, but you should make it a social experience and you should introduce uh, an educational component. And before <laughs> you know it, you lose all the focus. So I am, you know, I tend to be on the side of the individual. I know, I know. I mean, I've had great experiences act. with yeah. different, you know, quote unquote, art world people like, um, because and I would say that like it's too simple to say they're one or the other because <clears throat> a lot of times like yeah, they've been is. an it artist is. or they are currently an artist in addition to wanting to work in the arts. I worked in the arts for a period of time, 
at a gallery. It was horrible, a horrible experience, chiefly because of poor communication and mismanagement. But um, I have to say, like, you know, right behind me on the wall, I have like an artwork by um, like an, in, someone who's now an executive director of a museum, but they were an artist and I really admired the work. So I bought it from them. Right. Like, so they have an appreciation and I, for art as well. Um, that's usually why people get into it. Um, yeah. But I mean, I would definitely no, but, argue but maybe, that doesn't make them maybe, a good administrator necessarily, though I do think this my, person is. My point is more like no matter what you, no matter how many people you put in an ecosystem, they, they will always change the work. So if, if you have one layer in between or a thousand, but when there's like a city that says, oh, we want to be an important art center, so we're going to introduce a biennial. And then the biennial has a theme that's uh, decided from the top down. And they're like, okay, well, well we're going to make a, a show about ecology and modern finance. And then they're going to try to fit works in there. And all of a sudden, the artists are more designers than artists because they're trying to fit into the theme. So they're like, yeah, I got a work that fits the theme. I'll change <laughs> it a little bit so it fits a little more. Yeah. And before you know it, you know, it's it's like a real estate project. It's not art anymore. Mm. And, and uh no, I'm just suspicious of of those layers, but no, yeah, it's interesting because I was just thinking, and and but this back back to the argument of of Hen, like they're like, no, we're completely anarchy. There's no stars. Everything, everybody's equal. And then before you know it, it, it doesn't run because nobody has an incentive. Well, I think they're going to be forming That's, a DAO now, like that. And there's like someone yeah. someone new in charge, some guy named Joe. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> but like uh found... that's a cool business card <laughs> some guy named joe uh he's referring to himself i think as the custodian of hen which is kind of nice um but i think a dao for for those that don't know like a decentralized autonomous autonomous organization which is like an organization that runs on a smart contract on the blockchain make makes like obvious sense for like a crypto uh, collective, essentially, uh, which was what Hen was. It was just like, it's interesting because I think a lot of experimentation exists in the art world because we lean into coll collaboration as such an impulse in among artists. Like, oh, I'll collaborate with you. Like, I, and I often invite collaborations. I know this is not your necessarily your cup of tea, but this podcast is a good example. Um, but artists love you know, collaborations. I yeah, mean, but I think this podcast is a great example, actually, because we started it on our own. And then when we don't feel like it, we pause it for a few weeks. And when we do feel like it, we really believe in it and we're doing it sincerely. Yeah. But let's say that we were doing this for an institution. Let's say that we were both teaching at an institution and they said we need a weekly oh, yeah. thing and we didn't really feel like it, but there's this structure and expectations. So I, I see, you know. Yeah. I yeah. see a lot of institutions, podcasts is the perfect examples because I feel like there's very few institutions that do interesting podcasts and somehow that you would think they have so much access like MoMA and the Guggenheim, they, you know, they know every artist would, would be mm -hmm. happy to participate and somehow they can't get their shit together and make a good podcast. Well, so, it's interesting because you started to use this that? language, like you already started to use the language they, right? Like whenever we get inside of an organization, somehow this other body, like like appears out of nowhere like a spirit yeah like, that's maybe my personality i've always kind of seen no 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 no. i don't think it's just you yeah. I, I think it's and, yeah. and I, I was recently like my boss recently was like in a meeting and they were like we were doing like 2022 planning and there was like some pushback like you know what do, what is the strategy or blah 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 blah. you know like a, a typical thing and then they made a really astute point which was like Hey, if you think there's like some kind of secret cave where we're just deciding what the plans are going to be and then we're going to surprise you with them and we've known all along, like you're grossly mistaken. The way we manage an organization or company is we like we observe what's happening. We synthesize that observation into a point of view and then we share that point of view back to you. But it, you are entirely inclusive of that point of view. But very often in yeah. organizations, that's not what it appears well, to happen. What, what it, there's, there's a sad thing like let's say you're doing a concert and the room is only half full and then the band might complain to the people that are there and say like, fuck, there's not enough people here. When it's actually those people that made an effort that they're there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. so th you should complain to the uh, other invisible half. So as far as institutions, there's a couple of wonderful people in the museum world that I've worked with that really I see as dear friends and they're intelligent and they're pushing new culture forward. 
so you know the Whitney and the Stalick and they, they all made efforts to include new media art and made wonderful new media exhibitions and mm -hmm. stuff that's dear to me so so the, as far as the art are doing a lot of good yeah. stuff but yeah. but when I think of when I think of the idea of a museum or an institution and they're all they're, they should be focused on uh, expanding the audience bringing younger people in why doesn't every museum have a good podcast or why don't they have a good website with lots of interviews with artists and you would think that's their primary function to to reach out to people mm -hmm. yeah i mean i mean we've i'm trying to think that you know have uh, maybe i'm not just not aware of but certain podcasts um in that vein i i know moma had a podcast and it was like 10 episodes and then they stopped maybe i'm mistaken maybe i should do more research but um it seems to me i guess they're not press so they don't have magazines either so maybe maybe it's completely maybe they just focus on exhibitions and it's fine yeah hmm. well i mean like public programs were invented inside but like, of museums, like ben's so, ben's yeah. podcast is an example it's it's a better art world podcast than the institutions have in my opinion mm -hmm. no but i was gonna like i think that has a lot to do with actually like some of the institutional history of museums where primarily they were funded by patrons they a lot of the the programming inside of museums was for those patrons to improve the value of their collections now what evolved over time is like now there's public programs inside of museums right but that was a response in the 90s i think as far as I understand, to acknowledge that museums serve more than their patrons. They actually serve the communities that they exist in. But one tension I've experienced throughout my entire career working with even artist-run centers, which are supposed to be community outreach centers really in Canada, is that they are sometimes afraid of their communities, like that the, the community won't understand what we're trying to do. There's a sort of... Um, tension like of the for the then you might as well close the doors because any decision you make any exhibition you make half the people are un unhappy well i remember i you know when i worked at a gallery here it was an electronic art gallery and you know i was like well i, I was in charge of like the the workshops and stuff and I, I i you know so i started the job i was like hey so like how many people should i expect at the workshops and they're like oh usually zero and like we won't do them <laughs> <laughs> and i was like what? Yeah. Then why do we even have this program? Well, you know, it's like important that we serve our community. It's like, have you talked to your community? Like, have you asked them what they need? Uh, like, it was the worst form of, you know, management on a community level that I'd ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And, but, but, yeah. But maybe as a, I think HEN is this example of a utopian organization that didn't work. Mm -hmm. But maybe it'll morph into something better. And then you have the, the more traditional ways of management where a museum says we need five exhibitions a year of uh, we need lots of visitors which exhibition do we do these are the costs uh, the the director decides and then everybody else executes and I mean that's been the system for a long time and do you see like that needs change like do institutions should they become more like hen well I've been a director like my entire life like my first job was a an art director um, like my first official paycheck so it's kind of weird like what is a director and what I've come what I used to think was a director was a person with like the vision who kind of like told everyone hey I'm trying to achieve this vision do these things to help me achieve the vision right what I've come to realize is it's like that's completely backward what my job is to do is to create the table for everyone to sit at where we generate that vision and decide how we're going to achieve it and I think for a you know organization like Hen to work, they're going to have to take on that attitude of like, hey, what does the table look like? Who's at the table, right? How do we synthesize a point of view? And and really like this is like a bit cheesy, but it's the Simon Sinek thing of like start with why. Like, hey, why are we sitting here, right? Yeah. Well, we were you know we were fed up with like the centralized uh, art world as we were discussing earlier, and we believed in something more open and decentralized. So. Let's start with that, like mission, and this is why mission and vision like ended up being a big but, part but, of uh, corporate. Yeah, I mean, one one of the missions could be make the technology so easy to use that anyone can use it, and that's kind of been sure. Instagram's point of view. So they they're like, photo sharing is hard, Flickr is complicated, people don't understand SD cards. Let's just do it for mobile, and that way it can grow. So that I think the the regular Web two point 
way of working was just like make it so easy your grandma can use it and everyone is happy mm -hmm. and so you don't need any curation well i guess at some point they start doing suggestions and algorithms um but the point is if an institution is like instagram and says the more artists we exhibit the better just you know we have all these walls anyone can come in and hang their work mm -hmm. um and then there's the total opposite of like three exhibitions a year only star artists yeah uh, you know we tell you what culture is yeah we tell you what art is doesn't that sound obsolete yeah. though like that that second one it's yeah but what's weird is that <laughs> the, I'm, I'm trying to caricature the two extremes but i think having a completely uncurated ecosystem that's so easy to use that anyone can publish it's at some point that's kind of chaos like well, what's wrong with chaos i guess it's fine well but but it, like because chaos is only chaos no, to no, the person that thinks what they i have what i mean control, is right what i mean for example podcasts are a little bit harder to do than an instagram account mm -hmm. and so there is something about a barrier to entry i don't know no, well, let me not, tell you, let me go I'm back actually, on that Toby story. So I was having right? lunch with my friend from Shopify, talking to them about Toby. And then I was like, yeah, so like, but I think Toby has to do this to keep the quality of the product up. And they were like, yeah, but we used to be known for experimenting and innovating. And basically all the experimentation in the company has stopped. Sorry, I, I hate to like broadcast this, like you should short your <laughs> Shopify stock or something, but like, but like there's no experimentation in the company anymore. And all the best people that were, you know, the innovators but isn't are this leaving. Every company that has ever existed. I know, but isn't it like funky and then they become a corporate? Yeah, yeah. It's like it's a tragedy that like the same patterns repeat themselves. But this person was like, yeah, the, the magic has has gone, you know, and I think it's just like interesting and I, by the way i'm saying this person but i've talked to like dozens of people to synthesize this point yeah. of view and i experienced it myself but maybe yeah yeah maybe what i'm saying is like don't have unrealistic expectations don't expect a company that's worth uh, 500 billion to be a funky little startup that's true like every decision has a greater and, and risk maybe that's the same it. with with museums and institutions like oh if you have 200 years of legacy you're not just going to become nimble, a weird artist. Run space. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like so traditionally, actually, inside of large companies, for that reason, they they'll innovate. They'll, they'll have to create like innovation labs or spin out companies or like, you know, Google became Alphabet. And it's like, oh, the crazier yeah. companies are like, you know, not part of the Google portfolio. They're this one. And then <laughs> sometimes they become independent. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's like a. I think all of this just boils down to our, like, the, from a good point standpoint anyway, um, the, you know, the evolution from disorganized to organized, um, it, it's like you have to go through the stages. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, I was talking to a curator at a, a good institution and uh, they were very upset about the NFT thing because it just felt like the only quality a measure was finance and it was just built on top of a financial protocol so everything's it's it's even worse than the popularity contest on instagram in that sense mm -hmm. like oh it's worth a lot so it's good that's the only measure and so when you don't have that layer of human curation and academia the market decides then you you're just left oh, to the sorry. market and when the market is so uh what's the word like it's it's, it's all spreadsheets and and, and no emotion it, i don't know but I don't know if that's true, but no, I think it's a it's a valid critique for it, sure. It, I think a lot of people. Well, what that. I maybe what I was thinking about is that institutions traditionally take their time to buy work. Like they'll follow an artist for a long time and then build relationships with galleries and then maybe buy work before it enters an exhibition. Uh, that's that's kind of a process because they can't just go to every show, buy every work, and go to auctions and all that stuff. That uh, institutions are a bit slower. Mm -hmm. So it seems, and so I don't see institutions going on open sea and like bidding on. But you stuff wouldn't want them. Going I don't think a, you'd want them to. On a drop, we're making. No, like, that's my point. Yeah. yeah, but so my point is maybe that traditionally institutions were they would keep stuff in boxes and keep it climate controlled so it's safe. Mm -hmm. But I think now the ownership, uh, this model of ownership doesn't require an institution with a crate with a certain temperature. Like the yeah. community is much better at conserving work. But the institutions have the beautiful exhibition spaces, so they should focus on selecting works and bringing them together and creating a, an experience that is, is cumulative. Yeah, I mean, it would be similar to banks or governments or whatever. But like, I think for that reason, I come back on my point about communication as a core 
um, competency of good management, which is the museums need to communicate their value and and communicate with their communities in ways that generate um, understanding of their value, right? Versus like, I I disagree with that a little bit because then you're thinking, maybe you can communicate in different ways, but I think art is a a different kind of communication than yeah. let's say your Airbnb and it's like oh we want to optimize the usage of cities. Well, yeah. I think you can't reduce uh, the mission of a museum to a couple of essays and then fill in the work fitting that. No, essay. I agree. I, I agree. Let, like I'll use an analogy that a friend uh, David Maggs wrote about, um, which was like, is a museum a zoo, or is it like is it a forest? Right. Like so, are you going there to like, what like see something that's preserved, like um, you know, like a like a rare tiger. And it doesn't exist in the wild anymore. So it's like, remember when tigers were in the wild, right? Or, yeah. or is it actually like a reflection of a living, breathing ecosystem? Um, well, zoos are kind of a, a thing of the past too. So you don't want to be that either. Well, I, yeah, I don't think I don't think the zoo thing. Zoos are kind of sad. Yeah, I mean, I'm I, I didn't come into this conversation with an opinion about whether museums should exist or not, but I have spent most of my no, no, but it's it, it's an interesting that, yeah. point because museums generally tend to be. You think of taxidermy, you think of something that used to live, and then you freeze it so you can observe it yeah. for four hundred years. Yeah, and so even when you think of painting, paintings start to decay, lose their color over time, mm -hmm. they decay, and so you go there, and then they're not part of. Uh, the zeitgeist anymore they're part of the archive yeah they look like a and bison so, in a natural history museum after a certain yeah. period of time and so when you go see a namjung pike work in a museum it makes you think about tv culture in the 80s and what tv meant then mm -hmm. but at the same time you know we've moved on our screens are so much more connected and all the stuff he was talking about happened but does it really when you're 25 do you really feel the work or is it like oh that's kind of slow compared to what i'm used to <laughs> like all the hyper connected discord minecraft uh, craziness uh, his point i don't know like so that the argument of the museum would be like we have to preserve culture so we can build upon it yeah uh, if we keep forgetting we'll, we'll keep making the same work like if, yeah. you, if you don't have but the argument. big argument against it is that they only selected or preserved certain cultures right so it was like you know well not only that but also they have a tendency to preserve things that are preservable so there might have been great performance art in the 1600s we just don't know about it because it's impossible to preserve mm -hmm. so we know paintings because they are preservable and does that mean that their culture at the time cared about paintings yeah. or yeah, it's the yeah. classic, like, the you know, the Greek sculptures were actually really colorful. They weren't white, right? But Well, not only that, we, we chose to preserve sculptures. Maybe they didn't even play that big of a role in their time, and they were really obsessed with olive oil. Mm -hmm. And they were all, like, every, <laughs> everything everybody was talking about all day was like, have you tried this new olive oil? It's way better than the old one. Mm -hmm. And have you tried this recipe? Like, we tend to focus on the things that we can preserve in museums. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to, like, figure out how this all connects, but it might not. My, my original kind of... Well, let's go back to... Here's my mission. or what What is always my mission is that the artist should create free of outside concerns as much as possible. So don't think about money. Don't think about responsibility. You don't have to justify anything. You want to make something, you make it. And you don't have to do the spiel where you say, I used red because A, B, C, and D. And, you know... So it comes from within you, it, it's it's intuitive, all this stuff. And then all the management layers on top of that start messing with that original intent. Mm. That's to me where <clears throat> I'm, I'm, I'm weary of... And that's the management thing where it's like, if you have to justify to your boss, which is the curator or the institution, why you made the work the way yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What if you made it and you don't want to explain it because you're working beyond language? Well, then the connection for me is like, <clears throat> you learn to manage... <clears throat> excuse me, yourself, manage the self before you manage others. And the way you yeah. manage yourself in that context is you see those as inputs to your process, but not as the output, right? Like, you know, so those are, you know, that's information you can take or leave to make a good decision for yourself. But self-management requires that you actually not just take instruction from the world around you, but you actually synthesize it into a point of view. And that would but be to me. Yeah. Yeah. But to me, the, the, the management going back to the submarine, 
if everyone on the submarine is just completely autonomous and is just launching missiles whenever they want and there's no captain and you're just shooting in every direction, that's kind of what the promise of NFT or, or decentralized art world would be. It was just like every artist creating happily and just it, the work is available, the audience can grab it or not, mm -hmm. and there's no guidance. And then the, the classic structure is like, okay, now we have minimalism. Now we have pop art. <laughs> now we have cubism. Fit in. You know, like yeah. the, this is it. Uh, there, there are six galleries. There are 12 collectors. They decide. That's the old world. Well, like, yeah. if, you, if you read books of like, well, Bruce Dahman went to this school, then the gallery picked him up, and that was it. He never had to promote anything. From that moment on, he was, he was in. Yeah, there's an author. Like, there's a business theory guy, this guy, Lalu. I think I've mentioned him on the podcast before. And he, like, pro promotes this idea of de decentralized business. But, you know, business actually runs more efficiently if you create, like, small autonomous hubs. And this is also how agile works inside of software companies. But basically, pods of people with a smaller set of goals and it, a pod could be as few as one person if you wanted um but aligned around a central vision and mission you know can achieve a result better than you know something that's completely hierarchical and like you know adheres to the german administrative point of view of the last century or something like that yeah so but yeah but it, it traditionally it feels like um i don't know how to tie this into what you just said but there's been collectibles and fine art and so the museums and the the collectors the, let's say the fancy collectors they take care of fine art and collectibles mm -hmm. and then the mass market has stuff that you see at comic-con and they also preserve it but they do it communally so when you think of all the old video games that exist people keep writing emulators for every new operating system and people solve it in a communal voluntary way and it's not like there's an institution of nintendo that preserves nintendo's heritage mm -hmm. it's just all these millions of fans around the world and they have all these different yeah. versions of no, that's Pong a great example Mario. of decentralized so, management yeah yeah and so what what is happening is when art becomes immaterial and it's it's transferable over the network then all of a sudden the the network archival power is there so when you collect a namjung pike it's a physical work yeah. and you need you know there's 12 restorers in the world that can work with the ctr tubes and whatever but once you make software and it's like, oh, this is an old Flash piece. Well, I have a Flash emulator. Yeah. This is an old Shockwave piece. I, I... But you just reminded so me, like... Once, when something is free from hardware, the, 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 the solutions become very... They scale... You know, software just scales so differently than physical goods. But you know what you're like, you reminded me of that does scale infinitely and that does allow what that example of like the Nintendo kids like taking care of the Nintendo cartridges or whatever... Um, is a shared set of values, right? Like the Nintendo, Nintendo is very good at like promoting, like, this is what we value. We care about the craft, like family friendly and values are um, a set of dictates for how we behave. That's what a value is, yeah. right? So they're really good at like saying, these are the dictates. These are the pot, you know, this is what we believe is important for a good citizen and how a good citizen behaves. Like people always say Canadians are polite, but it's because like it's reemphasized over and over and over again as a Canadian value, right? Uh, to the point of being a joke, but it's also like, mm, actually, I really, res you know, like respect people or <laughs> polite. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, then everyone behaves that way. Um, yeah. You end up with a, like a little organization, right? Like of people who think the same way and behave the same way. Yeah. Like in, in Berlin, the value is to f find out at all costs why something is bad. <laughs> That's the value. <laughs> No, it is not good. No, yeah. it's not good. We cannot do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, artists are great at, like, the value of problematizing the problem. I always joke. It's like, yeah. you know, give a problem to an artist, they'll find a problem with the problem. I think, though, the, if, we, if we were to double back on crypto, which is not the intent of this podcast, it, you know, but decentralization well, is being... crypto is a mindset. It's a decentralized we're talking mindset, about yeah. Yeah, it's like the, the, the BYOB model of, of exhibiting. It's it's an idea. Anyone can participate. It's chaos. And you really have to dig to find the gems. It's not like we're going to pre-choose everything and everything is historicized and precisely put there. But I think one of the and, challenges right now is that the values are kind of in flux. And that's why you're seeing some yeah. disorder. Um, because the original well, values are That's why are I think I keep talking about it. That, mm -hmm. That's exactly... Like, in flux is the most interesting thing. Like, it, whether... NFT or blockchain is the solution. It's the 
when you said broadly distributing culture that used to be physical objects, it has so many implications that I can't wrap my head around it. So it is something we have to talk about. That that it, I'm not interested in whether it's blockchain or another technology. What I'm interested in is this weird anarchy and is that a good thing or a bad mm -hmm. thing and, and do you participate in it? Like I've noticed a lot of the artists that jumped into NFT immediately were the artists that had nothing to lose. They're like, well, I'm on Behance or I'm on <laughs> right, uh, right, right. Devi DeviantArt and so what, I, what have I got to lose? But, you know, if you're an artist like Heater Stell is super pissed off about NFT because she's the most institutionally supported artist in the world. So she's like, it's a military machine designed to like perform genocide. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is bad. This is bad. This is bad. Yeah. Because if, if she all of a sudden has to hang out with all the deviant art kids and she's in the middle of that and there's no museum director saying, well, we're going to put 5 million into this installation. So it'll look impressive. I mean, as a counter argument, you yeah. could say she has the comfort to decide whether she participates or not. So she does have yeah. like, um, she has a bias, but she also has like kind of a, a point of view like there's no precarity but she has something to lose mm, like she she could she could she could offer something in the public anarchist realm and then find out that without the institutional support that's not that many people who will participate compared to bored apes god it kind of reminds me and then me, you get into yeah, it you know <clears throat> then you get into this what i noticed like my friends who have more institutional support they seem really pissed off that the NFT stuff is like, oh, it's just bored apes. Mm -hmm. It's just for teenagers. It's the end of culture. It's crap, mm -hmm. blah, blah, blah. And I understand that argument deeply. I, I, I'm concerned too. But at the same time, they were already in. They already have power. Yeah, I mean, the only supportive argument I can think is it does remind me a lot of um, like in about 2010, 2011, like turn of the last decade, everyone was up in arms about like both bands and artists selling out to brands and like, doing brand collaborations and um, like that very quickly though, eventually just became the norm for sustaining like a career, right? Like that you, for example, in the music, especially maybe it didn't really catch on among artists, but among musicians, um, like it, like musicians I've always talked about are the poorest of the poor. Like they, they work harder than anyone for the least amount of return on the shortest career length. And they're just like, hey, like I'd like to take this talent and at least pay my rent. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. Um, yeah. And so eventually, people are like, oh, we can't be mad at these musicians. They're just trying to make a living. You know, you, even right now, wait, we have Taylor Swift out there re-recording all of her albums because and getting the message out that like, hey, artists don't earn money from their recordings typically at the rate you think they do. I don't think Taylor Swift's doing badly, um, but. Well, that's why, yeah, this is why NFT and the value internet, why it's such a big deal. Like, you can poo-poo it, but it's true what you're saying. Like, Taylor Swift will be fine, but there's so many other musicians that are really struggling to pay their uh, dental bill or whatever, or send their kids to college. Yeah, we're like, while they're working that's shaming 20 hours a week. <laughs> like. Yeah, and, and not only that, like, they actually put in the work and the audience values the work, but... The, the, the stack in between is taking all the profits. Like, that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are people making profits from uh, the platforms in between. Like, well, but the, the example is, the, the, it's not true all the time, but there's a lot of galleries where, like, the artist is struggling to make rent and the gallery comes from a very wealthy family and drives around in a classic uh, old-timer and <laughs> sleeps in the best hotels. That's like a, a caricature. <laughs> and there's many examples where it's actually... I don't know. It's not that yeah, simple, yeah, yeah. but there is that that weird. Why is it that way? Why have we accepted? Like, I I was talking to my dad, and when he was showing his work in the sixties, seventies, he said galleries would take twenty percent. He's like, I don't know. Yeah, at some point it became fifty percent. I don't understand why. Mm -hmm. Well, I like, think why is it fifty? I think rents went up. It, <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm very happy with, with my galleries and the curators I work with and all the work they put in and they should be rewarded. But maybe it is time to... But, like, why do curators it, yeah. often have a pension and a steady job and artists don't? Well, like, curators are pretty precarious from the ones I know. Like, a lot of them are, you know, in worse positions than, than the artists they serve. Yeah. But, um, okay. I think, like, the it's another podcast topic, but one speculation i would throw in there for the why the costs went up is that the cost of of real estate went up like ten thousand percent in that yeah. period and like mary boone if you visit her original space in new york was like 
on the third or fourth floor of an office, um, you know, a tiny yeah. little space, yeah. like no bigger than, you know, what you would consider now to be like a, like a little kiosk for mobile phones. Well, that's what I'm saying, why this is such a big deal, because like art fairs charge an exorbitant amount. Landlords in Chelsea and anywhere in the world charge exorbitant amounts. And then all of a sudden, when you distribute art on the internet, you know, if you put stuff on OpenSea, they only take two and a half percent. Yeah. I mean, the bottom line is like, for example, why is school so expensive? Um, it's because the amount of administration in schools uh, ballooned by... Um, yeah, I, and it, uh, I can't remember the exact percentage, but yeah, the teachers. The, a major this is factor. exactly what I. We, yeah. we tuition goes up and teachers don't get paid more. It's like, yeah, they get paid less. It's a weird, yeah. Yeah, but all so, of this comes down to my original if, argument, which is mismanagement. We should invest in management, and communication is is actually what management is, and um, you got to get good at communicating. And I, I, like, I had a boss that yeah. was a terrible communicator, and the whole and he thought he was managing things great. And the whole thing was a sh total shit show. Like, um, and we've all been there. We've all been in that situation where there's a boss that mismanaged, and it was really that they were miscommunicating, um, and they're destroying value, like literally destroying people's <laughs> lives and their ability yeah, to yeah, deliver yeah. against no, no, you know something. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I also, you know, I really want to say I've had the most incredible year financially, so I'm not one to complain about the the middle stack, like everyone has helped me a lot and so I'm very grateful but I'm just saying we're in an interesting moment where we can evaluate the different methods like before there was one method it was like you go to art school you get into art form and you get into the museum that that was the only path and now there's all these different avenues and there I, I mean I've been speaking to crypto first artists and they're like yeah I'd like to do a show with a gallery but I don't know about that 50%. That's really weird to me. Well, they can negotiate something if they want, right? Yeah, but the galleries are going to have to deal with that because they grow up in a world where they're used to getting 90% of the amount. So that I mean, prior, prior to this year, we were talking about like most of the New York galleries were struggling to stay afloat because rent had uh, exceeded the, the amount of revenue they were generating, right? So the, already yeah. the private galleries... No, I, I know yeah. it, it, most galleries... It's, it's not a business. It's a passion project, mm -hmm. and it, uh, they put their heart and soul in it. It's not like, oh yeah, we just. It, it's very different from the record industry. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's. I want to wrap this up though, but like, um, if anything, it's complicated. It's and that's what makes the management of it hard. the 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 trend what we're seeing towards decentralization is one we talked about for years, literally. Um, and I don't think crypto is the end of decentralization. I think you can de management, you know, mismanagement is a factor of over consolidation. Too few people with too much control mismanaging that control led to what we're seeing now. And um, that will continue even within these new platforms, right? There's going to be a tendency to yeah. aggregate control. Um, and then you're yeah, going to like see. Yeah, like how powerful is OpenSea yeah. in the decentralized world? Yeah. yeah. So you're going to want, you're going to see a lot more kind of debates around that and alignment around a shared set of values is one way that we'll be able to navigate through it. But invariably, there'll be different factions that emerge, right? Like with any system, yeah. you everyone's like on the same team. They're like, wait a second, you don't believe what I believe? You believe this other thing? And eventually that's going <laughs> to, <laughs> that's going to cause. Yeah. You know, there'll be a Facebook and there'll be a Snap and there'll be an Instagram and, you know, maybe some people will buy each other out. But um, diversity matters uh, to healthy systems. So, yeah. And, and young energy. And, yeah. 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 And we're the old guard kind of passing the torch here. So yeah. good job, kids. <laughs> Hello, fellow <laughs> kids. Good job. Yeah. Oh, All right, boy. Well, thanks for listening. Yeah. Keep communicating. Remember, yeah. communication is key. Let us know. Send your questions. Thanks. Bye-bye.